You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey everybody, it's Leslie and Lindsay, and we are here with Jordan. Hello. Hey. Um, so let's just get right into it. Jordan and I have known each other since high school. High school, yes. Which is not that long ago. We're so young. So young. <laughs> just just the other year. Yep. <laughs> um, so we'll just kind of get started. Jordan, how many kids do you have? Okay. I have two boys. I have a nine-year-old. His name is Grayson and Kipton, who is four. Awesome. And prior to having them, did you know anything about postpartum depression at all? I did. I uh, I have been in therapy um, since I was started about 16. So I'd heard stuff about depression and different types and all sorts of therapy you can get. So I was well aware of what kind of it is. Yeah. And did you get postpartum with your first? With my first. And did your doctors tell you like anything about it when you were pregnant? Um, since my uh, OBGYN knew of like, you know, you fill out your form with your health history. Uh, she she was just like, oh, so you know, you can get it great. Like she just kind of like brushed it over, like didn't refresh anything like, because I'm like, well, I've had kind of PTSD with stuff in my life, not with a child of my own. Okay. Um, so go ahead and tell us your experience when you were pregnant did you feel that way when did it hit tell us the goods so the postpartum was the worst with my first um when i was pregnant with him it was the easiest pregnancy i didn't even know i was pregnant it was one of those like oh i'm going on vacation i should take a test and oh my gosh it happened yeah. <laughs> it was real quick and pregnancy was a breeze he was due um january 14th and uh, due to medical reasons, I have opted for C-sections because I, I suffer from some hernias and things, and it was recommended. So we were scheduled for January 11th, and next thing I know, on Christmas morning at 4 a.m., my water breaks. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it was sheer panic. Uh, we run to the hospital. We're just, like, we weren't prepared. We were, I mean, my hospital bag wasn't packed. We didn't know what's going on. We're frantically trying to wake up our family and everyone's like, what are you doing calling us at Christmas at like 5 a.m.? And so um, due to my water breaking, I had no contractions, nothing, but it's kind of considered an emergency C-section. Like they can't let it wait. So um, I had made a mistake with my doctor and instead of seeing a group of doctors i was like you are my doctor and i will only see you i will only talk to you and the problem was is there was an on-call doctor and she was not available to um be there to birth our son so 6 a.m rolls around this doctor pokes his head in the door and all he said to me was you're ready to have a baby i'll see you in 15 minutes oh and i'm just going that's it that's it. No With introduction. No idea who his name was. I didn't even know his name until way later in the afternoon. I had no clue. I was, he had like a motorcycle helmet in his hand and I'm just like, oh who goodness. is this guy? Yeah. So 
they wheel us back. I mean, we're more worried like our family wasn't there. Like we're just like panicked. We had no clue what was going on. And they were like, get in. You got to get this baby out now. And I'm just like, am I under? Doctor wants to get home in time for Christmas. That's exactly <laughs> what Seriously. He's, he's, he said that while I was on the operating table, oh he goodness. said, if we wrap this up soon, my kids will still be asleep by the time I get home and I can make it for Christmas. Oh, so. Oh. They, that makes me feel like a really important person right <laughs> mm-hmm. now. They didn't treat me very well. Um, they, I felt like as they were prepping me and stuff, I was just like a fillet of fish on a cutting board. They were just rolling me around, and I was nauseous. I was all sorts of stuff, and I'm just like, what? and probably terrified. Oh yeah, yeah I, about what's going to happen. I mean, I'm worried about my husband. He looks like he's about to faint. I'm like. I don't know who you are. Do you know what we want? And uh, so baby came out totally fine. What, even though he was premature, he was healthy weight. Everything was fine. Whisk him out of the room. Sew me up. I'm laying there all by myself. And they're not even talking to me. They're just, you know, hurry up Christmas and this and this. And what are your plans? And what are your plans? And I'm just laying there. Oh. And then they wheel me into a recovery room. And leave me there by myself for two hours. No one was with me. Not a nurse, nothing. They left like the call button next to my hand and I'm flat on my back from having a C-section. I'm super nauseous. I'm throwing up on myself. I knock the call button off. I can't find it and I can't move, obviously, because you have a spinal tap and, or spinal block, I'm sorry. And yeah, it was just awful. Like my mom finally, after like a couple hours, was like, wait, where is she? Is she okay? What's going on? And who's watching her? Yeah, like what's wrong with her? Is she okay? Because the baby's fine and whatever. And they, uh, yeah, they, it was just awful. Like the nurses were just like, didn't care. that I was the only birth that entire four days I was at the hospital. The only birth. Wow, which no they way. said was very rare and it's this is american fork hospital very rare Whoa. yeah and so they were I, we were like oh we're gonna get vip treatment we're gonna have everyone to ourselves and no it literally was no you're by yourself in your room go oh away so um after i got finally they brought me back to the room they were like oh well you know the spinal block is wearing off a little bit now you can see your baby and i was like well what does that have to do with anything so they wheel me in i literally have pictures of me just white as it goes i am so sick i'm just holding my baby like what do i do like i can't even like function they weren't helping me um so for the families they came in and it, of course it's just chaos it threw off everyone's christmas plans and the whole day it was just like insanity and i like it was not peaceful it was not like anything that you think of um you know like the birth it's like everyone's coming in and it was just like we got to come in we got to leave to go to this place and we got to do this and we got to go mm-hmm. here and it was just like whoa whoa um but it was funny the second they gave me my son i like held him and looked at him and I just was like who is this like I have no connection to you I have no feeling to you like I was just instantly like what and right away it's that mother instinct I knew something was off about him really right away yep I just instantly this, you know the mom instinct you have 
instantly knew that there was something different about him. And so throughout the whole stay, we were there at the hospital for four days. Like, I mean, we had new nurses every four hours. They were on a holiday shift. I didn't know who was who. Um, Like, no one really took care of us. Like, no one cleaned our room until the last day we were there. So I had, like, slept in the same bed sheets that had all the gunk and gunk mm. on it like my husband at least was smart enough to change the pad underneath me oh my gosh but yeah it was it was just crazy and I started like I'm one of those people my body's like Woo, baby's here milk's here instantly and I'm engorged I'm dying and they're just like it's not possible it's not possible you have to go through the colostrum stage and you, you can't have it already maybe the baby's just not eating enough or and I'm just like no, I'm like dying. Finally, I like showed my mom and she was like, oh my gosh, you need a pump. You need to get that out. I don't know what they're doing. So we get a pump and I'm just milk everywhere. And like Grayson just was not really breastfeeding. He's um he was what they called like a sleepy eater. He would get on and just be like, oh, this is nice. Oh, I'm going to go to sleep. And wait, the milk's still not coming. And so I was just like, what is he doing? Like, he just falls asleep. I don't know how to do this. And their solution was they'll just give him a bottle in the nursery. I started getting, like, really anxious about it. I'm like, I can't take care of this kid. I can't. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I got a C-section. And when I was dumb, it's our first baby, but I was making my husband go home and sleep. I was like, go home, get the rest you need. <laughs> and so I'm not sleeping at night and I can't really get the baby by myself with the C-section. First C-section, I didn't know how to move and function. So I'm like trying to call the nurses. They're ignoring me. They literally didn't want to work. Like they, they spent more time doodling his name paper that they put in the bassinet than like taking care of me. Their solution was to give me sleeping pills to oh. sleep at night so I can function during the day and take care of the baby. I think it was the night before we were going to leave. I finally had like a lactation consultant come in and the solution was just, okay, get a pump, pump, whatever. I obviously you have lots of milk. The baby's not really eating, maybe just pump and bottle feed. And I'm just like, well, I've never really heard of pumping and bottle feeding. I just thought it was formula or breast. Mm -hmm. That's all. Right. And so, um, yeah, I basically went home not feeling well at all. Like, I think I legally shouldn't have even been able to sign the paperwork where they dismiss you because I was so out of my mind. I was like drowsy from sleeping pills. And the morning when we were dismissed, it was like chaos erupted in the hospital. It was like everybody was holding their baby in. They were flowing out. It was chaos. It was so loud. And I was just at that point like, okay, let's get out. I'm done with this place get home and things were like relatively quiet but again it's over the holidays we did like we we're trying to like ourselves get used to the fact that what we had prepared in our mind and our lists and everything that you know you plan out was like out the window and so my husband had to take different time off of work because of holiday and everything and like we were kind of like left on our own from everybody like no one really knew that we had the baby early they were all just kind of everyone was just like oh I'm shocked I'm not here we're we're out of town and so um two weeks come for the our checkup at this pediatrician and now we had gone and interviewed pediatricians 
before we had the baby. We were like, we're going to find the best. And so we went to this pediatrician that quite a few people recommended. And when we went to go see him, he was just like, well, I don't know what to help you with the breastfeeding issues. Like maybe just address the baby when you're feeding him, keep him awake, tickle his feet, do, do tricks. So, okay. I go home. And here I am in the middle of the night, three or four times, undressing him, tickling his feet, doing all mm-hmm. this lights, doing everything and nothing. And I'm just like, okay, well, nothing's changing here. And then it started, he started having a reflex and we're feeding every other hour. And it was Ooh. just like nonstop. And unfortunately for, for him, like I had so much milk that he just started sucking it down really fast so he can go back to sleep. Yeah, and it was such a like a big letdown that it was just like it would gush out and he would fall asleep, but he wouldn't finish it off or anything yeah. like that. And so I go back again a couple of weeks later, and I'm like, okay, nothing is like happening. So they're just like, okay, you need to pump. You need to pump after he eats, and this and that, and then you need to keep a schedule. So I'm here writing down. He fed on the left side for 10 minutes and then on the right side for five minutes. And then I pumped for 20 minutes on both sides. And this is, and I, it got to the point where I was driving myself insane with like the, the schedules and the hours and the time and the minutes and how much and this and that. And we go back again, two weeks. So he's about five weeks, six weeks at this point. And I'm just like, what do I do? And finally realized he just, he was the sleepy eater, didn't have the breast connection. He wanted to eat and be done. And with breast, unfortunately, sometimes it takes a little longer and whatever. So we came to the conclusion, I was just going to pump full time and have no breastfeeding. And at first I was like, oh, this is a relief. Then I got in a crazy schedule of, okay, he's waking up at 10 o'clock at night. He'd eat, be awake for 20 minutes or so, half hour. Then I would go pump for 20 minutes and go back to sleep. It's exhausting. Oh, here he is a couple hours later. Same thing. It would be like an hour worth of feeding. So I was tethered to my breast pump. I named her Medusa. She's yes. evil to me. Oh, she talked yes. to me in the middle of the night. And I was just like, oh, I hate you. Oh. And I was connected. I couldn't leave to go anywhere i had this set schedule where it was like boom 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 so i start storing it and i'm like well this is going to be great and i'm going i'm just going to keep doing this and just running myself ragged then he started sleeping through the night but i wasn't because i had to do my pump schedule Mm -hmm. so i'm still waking myself up going i gotta pump for like half an hour every couple of hours i gotta keep this up this is what you have to do and go to his six month or his four month appointment. And they're like, well, how is it? And I'm like, this is what's going on. I guess it's going good. And the doctor's like, okay. And I'm like, you know, though his bottle intake is getting pretty high. He's drinking like eight, 10 ounces a bottle. And he's like, oh, well, you know, you got some really good milk. He's good. Just, you know, keep doing that. And I'm like, yeah, but he seems really hungry. He's like, well, uh, just just keep doing what you're doing. Okay. So kept doing it. Finally, at six months, I told my husband, I got to be, I got to stop. I got to be done. Like, this is insane. And so we both agreed I would stop. I had this nice stockpile. I'm thinking, oh, it lasts me the whole year. He goes to 12 ounce bottles 
because at six months old, I was not feeding him anything but breast milk. Because I didn't know the rice cereal, this and that. Go to the pediatrician. Help me. Like, he yeah. is six months old. This is He's draining milk. I don't know what's going on. And he's going, well, fat babies make grandmas happy, but not doctors. So he was telling me oh. that... I shouldn't start him on foods too early. And I'm like, well, he's six months old and he's ravishing at bottles. And he was telling me that I should wait to start food even longer. And that obviously didn't sit well with me. And I just went, you know, I'm done with you. Like, I don't know what I'm doing at home. So I go home and we start thinking about things and, at this point, like his progression, we start noticing he's just not on the book schedules. They're saying, you know, you fill out that um, questionnaire when you go to the pediatrician, and it's like, well, he's not really rolling over. He's not sitting up at all. He's not doing this. He's not interacting. He was, I called him like my little blob. I would just lay yeah. him on the floor, and he just, he didn't want to be touched. He didn't want to be held. He was fine being in his swing if he was on a schedule he was great but it was like aren't babies supposed to be cuddly people come over and be like he's not really cuddly like he cries when you hold him and he wants to face away from you and don't you want to just smother him and i'm like no not really I just, <laughs> I'm okay. just leave him over there it's okay as long as he's not crying i can handle life but it was just there was no joy in it it was just kind of like I don't know what to do with this thing. Like, he just eats bottles and sleeps and hangs out in a swing. And this is life. This is it. This is what a baby is. Okay. I didn't, you know, stuck at home for months. And finally, I met, like, my angel neighbors. One of them, I was like, I am at my wit's end with a pediatrician. I need a new one. She recommends me to this pediatrician. She's like, I promise you will change your life. I'm starting to get emotional. I call him and they're like, he doesn't take new clients. Mm. And at this point, I just break down on the phone. I'm pleading, going, I don't know what to do with my baby. And like, I trust this person. She's got like four kids at this point. She knows a doctor, I would think. And they were like, okay, we'll take him. And I bring him in and he would just immediately like, how are you? How is the baby? What do we need to do? How do we do improvements? What are you feeling? And he like was on it. So in tune. And it just like knocked me off my feet because the other pediatricians and stuff were just so nonchalant. Like read the books, you'll figure it out. This is, this is what I know from my experience. And yeah, he just was like, okay, you feel there's something odd, you know, you don't diagnose autism or um, any type of disability like that right away, unless there's like neurological issues or things like that. And I'm just like, okay, so what do I do? And he's like, well, let's just go off your paper. I'll help you as much as I can. And we'll go from there. So at the nine month appointment is when I was like, this like I've got to get to a better point I'm not sleeping I'm not like I don't feel a connection I don't feel anything with him he's just 
there and you know there's times where I was just like my husband goes to work at like eight o'clock and then I'm just sitting there like oh okay uh count down to your first nap oh great now you're awake okay count down to your second nap okay oh my gosh your dad's gonna be home we can make it we can make it we can make it because it was just like I didn't know what to do with him I just it was just like stay-at-home mom just sitting there for hours just like staring at each other because I didn't know I'm like oh tummy time oh he cries I don't like that I can't handle the crying so we're not gonna do tummy time we're we're gonna skip all this and um finally I go to I think I went to my family doctor and I was like okay I'm at it I've had it I've uh I've, I've got to do something because I am panicking every day. I am just driving myself crazy because you read the books. I had one doctor tell me another thing. Now I'm at this other doctor and things are going better with the food and the developments. But him and I, we have no connection. So he put me on um, a really, really, really low dose of like Celexa. And it was like, for me, magic. It was just like, woof, took off that edge. But it still was like I had that mom guilt with him Mm -hmm. forever and forever. And I was just like, okay, I know. He's not crawling. He's 10 months old. I get it. Okay, he's 12 months old. He's barely certain to crawl. Okay, I get it. And So your guilt was about his developmental... What was the guilt about? The guilt was about development, the connection. Mm-hmm. Like people would just come over and or I'd take him somewhere and they'd just kind of be like, oh, he doesn't like to look at you. And he doesn't really like, like to be touched and held and this. And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> That's ya. how he is. Yeah. That's just him. And so I, it was just kind of like, okay, am I at home? Am I not holding him enough? And I'd go home and I'd be holding him and smothering him. And he'd just be like, get off me woman and I'm just like okay fine I'll put you back down and I'll sit here and you sit there and we'll just keep this distance between us and um yeah it's just one of those where I just felt like everyone was telling me like Ugh, like he's weird what are you doing and I was just kind of going well I don't know what I'm doing I mean this is my first kid first grandchild on my side of the family first real interaction I've had with a baby of my own besides babysitting at you know 12 years old and so it took off the edge so we keep going along with him growing up and once he got out of the baby stage i felt better but the baby i the baby stage is the worst for me i am not a baby person i just Ooh, even now it's like oh i hold someone's baby so i was crying go back go back go away go away <laughs> i go. can't handle that i'm fine so he still, we're watching the, the marks going on and one years old, not walking, you know, 14 months is not walking, 16 months, not walking, 18 months. Oh my gosh, we're finally walking. And at this point he, uh, went from baby babble to silence hmm. and didn't really want to talk and didn't really want to do stuff. And we start noticing he's developing patterns playing you'd play with him but you couldn't play with him you played next to him and he would have his toy and it would be how he had to play with it it was um i i called it like severe ocd like he'd play with army men and they'd be lined up 
by category. And I'm like, and this is at 18 months. Yeah, it's like 18 months to two years old. He wow. starts getting, and I, I start noticing it everywhere. I, uh, I had like a little office in my home and I was redoing some shelves and there were some like little screws and whatever bolts I had on the floor. And next thing you know, they're lined up in a straight line. And I'm just like, whoa. Yeah, I'm starting to see these really weird patterns show up around the house. He'd go down for a nap and I'd wake up and his toys are all like organized into like, here's Toy Story toys lined up and here's this lined up. And I'm just like, oh, is this alien? Is this what? I don't know what's going on. Like, this is kind of really weird. And so he would uh, go outside to play with the neighborhood kids and he'd line up his bikes like his little tricycle and then his little big boy bike we had and stuff and the kids couldn't touch it he couldn't keep it out of order and he'd have to play one by one but no one could touch it and move it because it was lined up in an order so we go to his two-year appointment and i'm like what is this like i am freaked out he's not really talking he would say like mama dada a few words but to talk it would just be screaming and crying and breaking down and pointing and gruntings and we're just like hello you say food say this and they were like oh try signing for a little bit tried signing you know he picked it up but it wasn't enough obviously at two years old they Mm -hmm. should be talking your ear off and at that point I was like I never had a connection immediately when I after he was born I felt there's something different I start looking it up and I'm like he's autistic isn't he and the doctor's like you can't diagnose that too. Like that's just so young to diagnose. And then the more we talked and the more I kept visiting, he was going, he is autistic. There's something, but he's not a deep autistic. So we finally figured out that he is a high functioning Asperger's. And so when you're in the realm of autism, though, it's like, do you say autism? Do you say Asperger's? Because Asperger's is kind of really high off of the autism charts. It's it's not, if he's a high-functioning, meaning he can work through his issues and stuff, There, he can do things, but you just have to really work through it and work through his way and understand it. And getting that diagnosis, we immediately threw ourselves headfirst into therapy Um, He was going to like Kids on the Move, which is a special education type of preschool. Uh, Schooling, not really preschool, it's for all ages, starting at two years old up until whatever. We were going to classes at night on how to figure out how to do playing with playtime with him and um, had to figure out how to communicate speech-wise and what we needed to do, it, it was to the point where, like, I'd be like, okay, we got to go run a couple errands. We got to go to the store. Well, he would think the store was, like, Winco. But if I would go to Target, he'd be like, whoa, where are you going? You said store. And that's the store I associate the word with. Or if I deviated going, okay, we're going to go to Winco. Oh, first, I got to stop here. And I got to go to the gas station. And he would be freaked out and be like... Didn't feel safe? Or... Didn't, yeah. He, it, it's like he knew the route we were going to. It's from A to B. But all of a sudden, I zigzagged off of that route. And he couldn't handle it. It was a point where the they were like telling me, go around, take pictures of where you're going. And you can show him, like, this is where we're going to go. And he would feel more secure, like, ah, I know what that is. I know what that is. 
and he can understand it. I mean, it was, it wasn't just like, oh, hey kids, let's just get in the car and see what happens. He was a point A to B. You had to tell him exactly who was going to be there, what was going on, everything that was going to happen, what times, like at two years old, you're just like, you're smart enough to know this, but for him, he had to know it. The, the speech, he had to look directly at you. You had to force him to make eye contact, to look at your lips. You would have to point to your lips so he would know you're talking to him. So he's not just like brushing it over his head saying, oh, you're talking to dad or you're just talking to yourself. He, you had to like focus on everything. And this is where the mom guilt just kicked right back up because you have people that just don't understand a disability diagnosis, not really disability, a disorder diagnosis type of thing. Um, and when you have an autistic child, it's hard because for him, his diagnosis, he looks normal. He can act normal, but when he gets out of his realm of comfort, I mean, it just takes so much to bring it back in. And when you have people that don't want to understand it, that are uh, like against kind of like medical diagnosis and therapies and the work you have to do, people just didn't see it. And at this point, I was going through some really tough times personally for me. So I start going to therapy to my old therapist. I've been going to see her since I was 16. She was actually like a more of a family therapist for family issues type of thing. But for me, I was just like, you know me. So you get to revamp whatever's going on now in my life. Um, so after a few sessions with her, she pretty much diagnosed me with PTSD from events I've had in my life, from events currently happening in my life they just kind of back and forth bantered off of each other and came to a head so at this point he's two and a half I'm going to therapy I'm on some medication I'm getting the pressures of okay he's two and a half where's the second child what's more child my husband and I had discussed when we got married we were going to be a two-kid family at this point I'm like one kid Oof. This is enough. I am running ragged with therapies and classes and everything with him. I'm good. So we... Was he making progress at that point, though? Like his age and with the therapies uh, and all that? He was. I would say probably about the time he hit three years old and started progressing, that was when it was like a bigger turning point. And he ended up going to into a special special needs preschool within the school district and that's when we started noticing the growth where he was more like it was more playtime with uh peers and um guided schooling instead of just kind of like a therapy where they just focus on the speech and this and that so he's he's always had an iep an individualized education program um and it's been with speech and with just services needed. And he just really just started growing from there. And I would say about the time he was, yeah, when he was like starting to be three to five, I got this big connection finally with him. It was like, 
we're synced. We got this going on and I could stand up for him, myself, and be like, nip, nip things in the bud. If people were understanding, okay, we're done. Like, you mm-hmm. got this. I've told you instructions on what we do with him, with this. Okay, not messing with it, moving on. Uh, so I was in sync with him and about when he was four, we started deciding, okay, should we have another? And at this point I was just, I mean, I couldn't get over his birth and the chaoticness. And I was like, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to go back through that. And so at this point, my OBGYN moved from American Fork up to Murray. And you live in... (laughs) I live in, well, I was lived in Orem at this point. Okay. How long of a drive is that for people that aren't local? Um, it's about a 40 minute drive or so for just mainly freeway. And she went up there and I was like, I'm following you because I like you and you kind of get what I'm getting at. And I didn't trust any male OBGYN after my experience with birth. So I was like, nah, I'll, I'll just stick with you yeah. and we'll have a plan if this happens. Then she moved to Salt Lake, downtown Salt Lake. So it's like an hour, a good hour drive or so on a good day with no traffic. And I still was like, well, this is easy because, you know, I only go see you once a year. We're great. And she kept, you know, started bringing up, you mentioned you were going to have two. Like, what's this plan? What's your plan? And I was just like, I can't. I just literally cannot think of how I can go through this again. And she's like, okay, we're, I'm at a new practice, new hospital. If you had the baby, the baby would be born up here in Salt Lake. Um, and I will give you my personal phone number where if you go into labor, as long as I am in the state, I will come and deliver the baby. Wow. What? Which blew my socks off because she could tell from like my husband when he would be there like he wants number two and she she said she even felt like you were going to have a number two and I was just like okay whatever whatever and after talking to my therapist she was just like you know you went through this traumatic experience it it's not always going to be that way She's like, some. you could have a worse pregnancy, a beautiful delivery. You could have same pregnancy, same delivery. She's like, you, you can't control what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen when you have a baby, what your body's going to do, whatever. It's been like five years at this point. See what happens. So finally I was like, okay, we're going to have a baby. You know what? And I'm going to put it in the universe. We're going to have my girl. I want a girl. And this is what's going to happen. <laughs> so we uh, go to try. Boom. Pregnant immediately again. Wow. So, I mean, my body was like, all right, if you're doing this, we're getting it out of the way. <laughs> and I get pregnant with him. And it was a totally different pregnancy from my first. He had tried to escape a million times. I was constantly in the hospital trying to stop contractions. And I'm just like, child, do you going to make this more difficult for me? It, it, it was, I, I managed through it. It wasn't as bad as most people have out of the pregnancy. So I kept reminding myself that I, it's, it's not as bad as it could be. It's not as bad as it could be. My first one was great. 
I, I guess I can experience a real pregnancy where you feel the aches and pains and the problems and all that. And we go to find out uh, the sex and they're like, it's a boy. And I am hysterically crying at this point. Oh. And like, I remember coming out of the ultrasound room and everyone's staring at me like, did she miscarry? Is there something wrong? And they're like, no, it, it's a boy. And she doesn't want a boy. And I'm just like, oh, I got to snap out of this. Like, <laughs> I go to tell my family. There was no big reveal. There was no gender reveal party. I call them and I'm like, it's a boy. And they're like, really? Okay, pull yourself together. I'm sorry. And I, on the drive home, so it's the hour drive, I just turned to my husband and was like, I know his name. I, I know who this kid is. And he was like, what? I'm like, his name is Kit. End of story. And he was like, well, I like a full name. I want, I want to have, so we'll name him Kipton. And I was like, great, it's Kit. That's it. No discussion. And immediately I was like, his favorite colors are like yellow and gray and red. And I just had this huge connection with him. And it was just like mind clearing. When I got on this pregnancy, I was off of, I made, sh I wanted to be off of my anxiety medicine and I weaned myself off. And I just was like clear as a bell. And it was just the weirdest thing. I just was like, this is him, whatever. We found out the the due date, so we go to schedule the C-section, and I'm like, oh, it's around the time we got sealed in the temple. We'll make the family complete. That's good we got sealed after we had Grayson, and um, for people who don't know, it's LDS sealing in a temple uh, to make your family forever. And I was like, he'll be born on that day. So we scheduled the day, and I was just like, all right, I'm in control of him and the birth pregnancy i'm doing my best he was doing whatever he wanted to do in there it was it was rough but we had a list we go up we met with the hospital we walked through it we walked through everything with the pediatrician and i was just like this is what you are going to do whether you do it or not you are doing it i have to have this we go up for the birth and again crazy thing i'm the only one giving birth in the hospital for the three days i was there what i don't know how but i just picked these random days where no one's having a baby so and this time wasn't christmas right not christmas <laughs> still a winter baby but not christmas no holiday he tried to come out everyone's going oh he's coming out on valentine's day or new year's day and i'm like no he no no more holidays <laughs> And we go in there and I was like, you know what? I want skin to skin contact immediately after birth. You will not take him from the room. I know it's a medical room. It's the cold surgical room. And my doctor was just like, you know, this is not practical for a C-section. You don't do this with C-sections. And I'm like, I don't care. I didn't touch my other baby for four hours. And then even then, I didn't do skin to skin. I came back and he was passed around everyone. And I'm like, what's skin to skin? I'm, I, I don't know what to do. And he came out and they put him on me. And I held him for almost the whole time that they sewed me up. And he was just laying there on me. So they had, 
you know, warming blankets and my husband's there and God, it was just so peaceful. And he just lay there and I just felt this strong connection with him. And I just, you know, you get that guilt where I was like, I didn't have this at all with my other son. He was separated from me. It could have been almost an adoption type of baby where I was like, I didn't feel I was present on anything. He was just out of nowhere. And they brought me back to the room immediately. Like, they're sitting me up. They're getting me working on my legs. They're like, okay, here's your baby. He was in the room. They bathed him in front of me. They did the footprints in front of me. I missed all that with my first son. I saw nothing of him. And, I mean, it's really hard to think of that. I still have that guilt where I'm just like, I missed everything on him. Because this hospital thought it was better to have me separated and recover than there to witness it and this hospital was like get up get out of bed let's go go watch your baby do this and I was just like blown away I couldn't believe it and they were so supportive we were like we were left alone I mean we had a nurse practically just sitting in our room with us chatting the whole time and I told them about my milk supply and my previous issues and they were like, oh no, we're going to get this working for you. So they were pulling out tricks from the hat I've never even heard of. They would put like a, um, some breast milk in a syringe and give it to you in a teeny tiny tube and feed it into the baby's mouth while he's on your breast and you would slowly put the milk so it would force him to suck and get, and I'm just sitting here going, what is this stuff? Like you are you are encouraging me to try everything to get him to do stuff. And they were every feeding, they were in there with him. They weren't just like, okay, here's a baby. I got to go back to the desk and make it a report. They were just like, okay, what can we do here? Try this hold, try this and get up out of the hospital and walk around with the baby in the bassinet. So, you know, why don't you shower? You're going to feel so much better when you shower. And I was just like, you want me to do this stuff? Like, you don't want me to just lay here? Like, that's what that's what I did with the first one. And they were like, well, you didn't want a first birth. You wanted a different experience. And it got to the point that um, when I went to go leave the hospital four days later, they were like, oh, you're the patient? Wow, you look so amazing for the mom. And I'm just sitting there going, I feel like a completely different person. Like, I feel like I can actually handle the baby. And the one thing that I will credit that helped me the most with the second child is um, my friend mom. Her name is Lonnie Anderson here in Utah. She's hypnobirthing uh, Utah County. So she does hypnobirthing and all that. And she does placenta. And she took my placenta. My friend came all the way up to Salt Lake, grabbed it, brought it all the way back down to her mom's house. And she made them into little placenta pills. Now, people think it's gross. I didn't eat it like a steak. I didn't eat it in a <laughs> shake. It was in a little pill. It looked like actually dirt, like because of the way it's dried and ground up and all that. And I was taking those pills as a natural supplement for my body. And it did wonders for me. I didn't believe it. I, I, I don't believe in the oils and all that. And they converted me to everything where I was like, this is a magic. This is... I. I don't feel like I'm crazy. I felt better. I felt connected. I, I 
like everyone was listening to me and I felt really powerful because I like forced it. I wasn't timid. I wasn't like, well, you know best, you tell me. It was like, I felt this child, this is my child and this is what you're gonna do. We were not doing this. Okay, let's try this. That didn't work. Do me something else. Try me something else. And the, my, my first birth and my second birth were night and day. I had friends that helped me through my first birth, but they were distant. They were on the phone. They were in different states and even one from a different country. And then when I had the second baby, I had all that help already backing up where I was like, listen, I need like an army to help me with this child because I was a lone soldier for the first one. I felt very dark, very just by myself. And with Kip and the second, it was a totally different story. Now, the um, postpartum didn't go away. I ended up started about when my oldest son, we moved to a new city and it just got my anxiety and panic attacks just hit me over the head. I, I didn't feel comfortable where I was. I didn't feel comfortable with him. And it started pulling me away from my second child because I was back to dealing with round one with my first child of diagnosis. And it was like just the PTSD hit me where it was like, okay, okay, I can't, I can't have this happening again with him. I can't have it miscommunication. So as of right now, I am back to being on um, anxiety medicine and I am working on weaning myself off because I'm finally at a point where my, both my sons are old enough or my oldest now, we can work through some things. You have the give and take with the, uh, with uh, the autism where you relapse a bit and you have to set back and you have to set them back, you have to set yourself back, readjust your goals and work for it. Every school year, it starts out <laughs> the same. You got to readjust and it takes you just into like a darker place with it where you're just like, I have to focus on you. I don't want anything to happen to you. But at the same time, I just want to run in a hole and hide myself most days. And and again, I said, I feel, I feel that guilt because with my second, I feel nothing, nothing the same with my first. And with him, I just have this connection. I know what he says. I know what he wants. We just got this bond. And the guilt is, is like, I didn't even develop this bond with my first until he was almost four. I didn't have this like, man, having a kid is great. It was like, oh, having a kid is great. Having a baby is bad. And hence the five-year gap. I mean, I, I know people that had two babies in the space of the time it took me to have one to two and they were just so like come on like let's have our babies close in age you want another baby it's like just go you're not getting younger yeah I had my second in my 30s I that's just life for me mm -hmm. <laughs> and that you do you <laughs> I'll do me so you you have the stigma where you have the people that can have the kids every two years apart you have the people that have the miscarriages in between or the miscarriages before and you have all this thing that go with people people 
I had people telling me, well, with one child, he's so spoiled. He's spoiled. And I'm going, how do you think he's spoiled? Like, spoiled rotten by what? Getting one-on-one attention with therapy and (laughs) doctor appointments and me trying to figure out how I'm going to work with an autistic kid where he can't even get along with peers because he can't function at the same rate that they do. And I'm like, okay. And I bring in the second kid and how is he going to function with the second kid? How is that going to affect him? And, you know, they're still working on their bond. He has a big hurdle to come over. And unfortunately, yes, the little one is a little spoiled. Obviously, he's he's a very 100, they're 100% different. I mean, they are complete opposites, as opposite as you can get. But we're all, it's just a working progress. And I think that's what a lot of people forget is, you, yes, I have my complete family. There's, we are a family of four, two children, but we are not a family of four. We are a family of four individuals, and we all have to work individually together to continue it on. I have to work on myself just as much as I have to work on a relationship with my husband and my first child and my second child and both children and with my husband with all my children. It's one of those stepping stones where... I think a lot of moms get lost and people will say like, oh, well, enjoy these years. They go too fast. Enjoy. Just enjoy whatever you want with them. And it was like, no, 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 no. Mommy needs some time to enjoy herself too because I'm not going, I don't stop my life from 25 to 45 until they're out of the house. Like (laughs) that's 20 years of enjoying the little moments. It goes so fast and I need to enjoy my moments. I need to have my accomplishments and I need to find my voice too. And it's so easy to get lost in that. And especially when you go down a road of postpartum, it, you feel it takes years out of you till you like crawl back out to the surface. And you don't just want to live on the surface. You want to be, you know, shoot for the moon, land in the stars, somewhere up there. You don't want to just be above your hole that you got into. So... I mean, my advice on stuff like that is if you felt there's something wrong with your child, most likely your gut instinct is going to be right over any medical, any book that you're going to read. Um, You just got to make your own plan. You got to listen to your own thing. I mean, we are extremely involved with our oldest at his school and... His therapist, it's not like, oh, we just go to parent-teacher conferences. We go to parent-teacher conferences. We have IEP conferences. We have, I mean, I go into the school to to, um, his resource teachers, and I'm like, all right, what's going on this month? What's going on now? I can't just drop this. I I don't have the luxury of just being like, oh, my child goes to school all day. He's home. We're done. It's like, okay, what are we going to work on? What was your hard point today? What was your easy point today? How do we bridge those together? Because he's just not going to function that way. But with my youngest, he can. He can go and take the hard knocks and come back and he's great. So it's just one of those. I work, have to work on my mom guilt. I have to reassure myself. I'm not crazy. I'm not bad. I'm not doing things wrong. I make mistakes. I move on. I have to move forward. I can't move backwards. It's just, and you got to find your 
your little army. You're going to have people that are going to be against you. You're going to have people that think you're having excuses, but you will find someone that will finally hear you and listen to you and be that backbone. And luckily, through both my boys, I have found more people that will be with me and more people that are against me. And you have to just keep going. You just have to keep that. And you got to keep your, same thing, keep your friends close, your enemies closer. (laughs) And uh, you just got to move forward because, I mean, I still, to this day, feel sometimes more bad days than good days. But I know I have resources and things to help me. Do you go to therapy at all still? Um, I actually have not been for a couple of years but it I, that is something I've recently brought up to my husband saying I, I need to go back because it's not a bad thing mm-hmm. and you know there are times where it does get old you keep talking about the same thing mm-hmm. and you're like how do I break the cycle sometimes you just have to stop and go forward yeah I agree um, you mentioned that you do things like that you don't want to forget who you are so you have to do you and do your do things so you don't forget right you know whatever so (laughs) what does that look like for you what kind of things do you do that you know you'd suggest other moms out there do to maybe keep them balanced um luckily i have a really supportive husband that knows that for me it's not like (laughs) um just going out to dinner it sometimes it has to be something bigger i mean i i drive an hour away to get my hair done and the the hour drive and the hour drive back that is like my peace time i don't talk to anyone i actually don't even have cell service at that time um i'm driving through a canyon and i just like listen to my music i blare it and if i'm in a bad mood i blare my bad sad music i get all my crying out if i'm good i get the good music out and i'm just like look at the sky today and it just helps me just kind of get it out where i don't feel like a guilt like if my kid catches me crying because I'm having a bad day or you feel the shame of having your emotions flood out. Mm -hmm. I just, I get to a point where I'm just like, I got to go release. I got to get away. It has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with kids. It's me. I don't want someone touching me. I don't want someone talking to me about Minecraft. I have got to just (laughs) hear myself. I got to hear my own thoughts. And, but during that time, I purposely make it where wherever level I am, if I'm good or bad, I will come out feeling better. I don't sit there and dwell and talk down and sit there and beat myself up. Oh, this would have happened. This would have been better. If I would have said this, this would have been better. I just, okay, that happened. Oh, let's just let it out and get going because I can do that. I can dwell on something and, oh, I'm over it and think about it. 50 billion other times and it's easy to kick yourself and Mm -hmm. okay well tomorrow I'll be better tomorrow I'm not going to yell at them and tomorrow I'm not going to do this but it's really you have to go moment by moment and just be like in this moment I need to breathe and let it go Mm -hmm. and I also am am, I am very lucky he lets me um go on a mom-free vacation with some girlfriends and I usually get to go once a year and it could be with my sister or some of my friends and I get to go for a few days and I'm just like 
oh, I can go to Disneyland. I was just going to say, is it Disneyland that you go to? <laughs> She's a Disneyland freak. <laughs> it normally is. It's my Disney trip, and I get to go and eat my churros, and I can go and hug Mickey Mouse and not have kids crying and freaking out. And, you know, I, 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 I do get lucky that way, and those are the most needed moments for me. Um, you know, my husband gets his same time off. Yeah, I let him go hunting or go on any trip he needs to go on where we're both like okay we have to disconnect from children because again it's not our full lives they they are our life but they are not you Mm -hmm. you've got to have your time you're amazing for you know for seeing it that way i know when when i was pregnant people said that they said you don't they don't become your world they come to your they come to your world something like that you know what i mean where it's like exactly what you said and i think that's something that's missing from so many dynamics as far as becoming a parent and a mom that you do it's so easy to forget who you are and just think that you're mom all the time and completely lose your mind because you can't separate that difference anymore right and with my my oldest um you know around when we were getting this diagnosis and what's going on I was so into his world at that point and it was the whole people like do you live near power lines he got autism because of that oh he's autistic because you bottle fed you ended up going to formula you didn't do this you didn't do that and it's to the point where it's like I can we all just stop that talk (laughs) I'm so over it I'm so over it especially with the feeding thing yeah it's just like I'm over it I got to the point where I was just like I know no matter what I did, he would have come out the exact same because mm-hmm. it was instantaneously. They handed it to me and I looked at him and went, whoa, there's something different about you. And my other son, they handed it to me and I went, nope, you don't have anything like your brother. How huh. amazing for you to follow your instinct with that and to continually keep going back to the doctor and finding the right doctor and just having the boldness because mm-hmm. I know a lot of moms don't do that. They just kind of they're scared or afraid or embarrassed or whatever like props to you for continuing to just keep pushing forward and doing what you can to make sure everything works out and to follow your gut that's hard to do it is and that's a lot of things it's scary if i stay with that same pediatrician i don't know where i would be because he scared me he was like don't make him fat and and here's this he actually is in like the higher percentiles for height and this and i'm like he's uh, he looks like a normal baby to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Don't mm-hmm. make him roly poly. Well, obviously that's not happening because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's only drinking milk. He's not bulking up that much. And there's just a lot of people get scared. People, um, I do have people in my life that do not like the diagnosis that he has. I mean, it is non-existent to them that that is real. He really has it, and it's it, it's just mind-boggling because I'm like. I put in the work to make sure that people meet him now and they go, I have no idea. I have no clue. And I'm like, oh yeah, well, I know his triggers. He knows his triggers and we work through it. Like it's not a normal play date he's going on. It's something where he has to consciously catch himself and think and reevaluate. And then we have to come home and we have to dissect it. And it's a lot. And when I have another child that doesn't do it, sometimes it's just so aggravating because I'm just like, I wish you were normal, mm-hmm. which is like horrible to say because due to his um, Asperger's, 
he is amazingly brilliant in aspects that like blow your mind from other kids Mm -hmm. i mean you can go to a movie with him and he will know everything about everything and catch it and you're sitting there like yep i I don't know what this is and you knew who that character was and who that was and you can follow plot lines and he's way more advanced in certain areas but in other areas he's not and you know mm-hmm. that's the ebb and flow I have with him and again it's I have to take care of myself to take care of him because if I just put him first I would be ran over mm-hmm. I would be in the ground because I would have driven myself insane and I have to step back and say okay I need breathers. I need to take a time out because it is a lot. It is intense. And children are intense. And when you have add other children and you have other elements coming at you, it's it there's just so much. And you just can't not have a break. You cannot give up on yourself to give to them. It doesn't give them more. Mm-hmm. It gives them less if you don't take care of yourself. Exactly. Yeah, that's very perfectly said. I have a question for you. Um, you mentioned that you didn't have any friends who had, you know, who, who could relate to to your first son, and that you had to find a group. Did you end up finding a group um, of women who were experiencing the same thing? And did you have support that way? How did you find that? Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Um, I'm actually still struggling to find a group. Okay. Um, it's. In my way, I'm guilty of the fact that I want to integrate him into more of a normalcy than segregating him into a uh, like um, more like kind of an isolation. Yeah, if you will, like right, a group. right. You don't want to label him as this, and right. this is all yeah. he is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like he has this label. That's right. what he is. I mean, I have people being like, that's just an excuse. If I say, well, you know, we have to work through this. Like, yeah, he'll do stuff he doesn't understand a consequence to. Sucks. He did it. Let's move on with it. Let's work through it. The only thing you do is he keeps going. You stopping it and preventing anything from happening further and shielding your family, it does nothing to help your child or my child at this point. And... So it's, he's been through um, a couple of the special needs preschool. Now what they do is they have kids with special needs of all ranges of autism to handicap to blind, deaf, all sorts of issues. And then they have um, example students in there where they're just normal kids. So they learn to get along with the normal kids and that's more of what I've always kind of gone for is like and it's it's hard because when you do get with another parent that has the same issues as your child it's so easy to just sit there and be like well he does this and he does that and what does your child do and they mm-hmm. do this and they do that and so I just got to a point where I I have people I can talk to I have people that I have met through just at a school you have to like go to the school and meet them to find mm-hmm. them online a line is more for me was more just negative people just wanted to compare and you know you give advice and then y'all just end up whining and mm-hmm. fighting over well i did this and this is better than that so it's just i i i find i have to like seek it out if i want it 
I, you have to look for it if you really want it. And it's just the give and take on it. And for me, it's actually worked better to make him around more normal kids as long as the, the parents understand. Hmm. And that's the difficulty. You have parents that just don't want to understand, that just want, you know, they don't have the issue. Why is it their issue? Mm-hmm. And so have you found comfort in finding parents that do understand? And, I mean, have you found yes people okay i have i have found people i wish they were some of them were closer my best friend that used to live next door her name is april she's the most understanding person i've ever met and she's there and she oh my gosh she was just like an angel sent to me like i can go sometimes hide my little hole and she'll come and be like get out get over it let's move on mm-hmm. and it's just understanding on it and she can be around Grayson and see it and she knows it and she's just okay that's that's the way it is how do I talk to him let's talk to him and figure out and boom and she can get over the issue with him in seconds minutes where other people it's like weeks and months they can't get over one thing and it's just like you gotta work with me and him in order to make this all work mm-hmm. I can't go against stream here we all need to be the fish down the stream we can't fight our way up my um I have three nephews that are on different levels of the spectrum with autism and Asperger's um and I remember that this was the first time I'd ever experienced anyone with it um and I remember the first few times that I was around them I was like uncomfortable because I had no idea what to do or like I didn't want to like upset them so I just kind of like ignored them because I didn't know what to say or do and and all of them you know two of them are brothers and they're both on completely different levels of it and so it's just I get intimidated because I don't want to offend their parents or them and I want to create a safe space and a safe atmosphere for them when they're around me and for them to feel my love and acceptance I'm clueless you know and I'm almost like intimidated to ask my my brother what can I do to help them feel comfortable or my sister-in-law Elise like what can I do but I feel stupid so I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I think on my end of it sometimes maybe it seems or looks offensive almost because I'm uneducated but I want to be, but I'm scared and I don't, I feel weird asking or maybe I should know, you know what I mean? So right. like uh, the best advice I can give is you just need to ask the parent, like this is happening. What can I do? Um, example, Grayson went to a birthday party and he, I mean, due to his Asperger's, he has a crazy insane picky diet and there's nothing you can do to get him to try foods he does not want to eat mm-hmm. and he loves little Caesar breadsticks i mean it, preach if, if there's pizza <laughs> that is it yes and they had little caesar pizza but they didn't have breadsticks and the mom calls me and she's like he is like hysterical over here he's crying like we can't get him to like we're trying to get, get him to eat and he won't and i'm like okay I want to come over and I'm just going to show you. And I went over there and I just had to calm him down and say, you will eat when you come home. They don't have it. I am sorry. They just have pizza and that's it is. And you know, it's hard for him to process because he's Mm -hmm. like, but 
this comes with pizza. You get breadsticks with pizza. You don't. Yeah, that's just <laughs> normal. <laughs> that's normal life for us. And so the mom recognized the trigger with him and watched and learned. And now to a point, she's if he's over there, we're going to have pizza. I will have breadsticks for him. I will have breadsticks for him. And yes, it seems extravagant to go out for one child. This isn't a child throwing a fit because he's having a tantrum because that's what he wants. And yeah. he only wants that. He's not a spoiled it, brat. Yeah, he, yeah. It's all he understands. Mm-hmm. And he knows that is his food diet. That is what he is going to eat. That is what he associates pizza as. I mean, it's... it's Don't mess with that routine. It's a whole <laughs> complex. Right. Yep. It is that routine. He knows that and that's what he knows. Mm-hmm. And it's instead of fighting him on it and just being like, well, we're not going to invite him over. We're just, mm-hmm. that was enough. She learned and moved on with it. And a lot of parents now are kind of coming to the realization that it's a give or take. I mean, I can't always be there to run over and be like, okay, okay, here's mm-hmm. what we do. But if you talk to the child, kind of get down on his level and just be like, how can I help you? They'll tell you, they'll tell you like, I don't like this or I have to do this then that's when you work around it you you have to look they're looking for their you know round hole for their square peg you know they're they they can't fit those pegs into those holes they got to find their perfect match and you have you just have to help them and he's to an age now where he he, the thing I keep telling him is I can't always be there I'm not always going to be there if you're going to have playdates, you have got to work with them. And I tell the parents, please just work with them. Like, don't send them home if they're Take fighting. Take the time. Take yeah. the time. To figure out how he communicates and work right. through it. Because it, then a child fighting over something, just because he cannot connect the dots, there is a misfire in that brain. There is something right. just sparking where he can't think clearly on it. He can't see the end result. If you clearly can just talk and get it over with most likely you'll find the solution in 10 seconds and everything is resolved Mm -hmm. but instead you send them home then we deal with the aftermath we deal with the crying and the misunderstanding and then that kid gets all weirded out because they don't want to play with your kid because he's weird and he did Mm -hmm. this weird thing and he didn't understand that we're not playing star wars anymore we're playing basketball and there we we just stopped it there's no and so i just think you kind of have to be more upfront with the parents. You can't just send your child off and be like, go play. Whatever is going to happen with them is going to happen with them. You, you have to let people be aware that, okay, if, he, if they're going to play something different, sometimes he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand there was a stop and, and a new play starting. He has to do what they call the, the closed circle. He's got to have a beginning to an end it can't mm-hmm. go from a beginning to over here to back there to down here to up there oh and then we're ending mm-hmm. so it's just communication 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 yeah and it sounds like it really is just simple you know to just i mean from my end of it like if i'm with my nephews to just give myself a second and give it just a little bit more mm-hmm. i don't know i'm glad that you explained that because really i do think even just a lot of us out there don't fully understand being on the outside of it so i'm glad that you said that it, it's the same as seeing someone with a full disability you see someone in a wheelchair you see someone that 
maybe has like a brain damage injury and they can't talk or they can't use their body the right way. And most of the time you kind of get scared because you're like, I don't know if I'm going to overstep my bounds. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to understand me. I'm going to understand you. And it, it's just one of those where you're just like, okay, everyone on this planet is a human. Mm-hmm. Everyone has something to offer, something to give. What am I going to get out of this? that is not going to make me actually go home and feel awful about myself going, oh, I saw this person struggling and I just, you know, I didn't want to get involved. Mm -hmm. When actually it could have been simple as, can I open this door for you? Can I pick that up for you? Can, Can I help with something? And that's what I think more, you know, look for the helpers. Look Mm -hmm. for the helpers. I love that. Um, The question that we usually end with, um, if you're anything else, you can go into it too. Um, But the question that I feel like is perfect for this, and I don't know, maybe you can ask a different one too, but um, for the moms that have a baby and they don't feel like they're bonding with their baby, what would you tell them? What would you tell yourself on your worst day, Jordan, your worst day? There's another mom out there right now that's feeling that way. What would you tell her? As I just said, keep looking for help. Um, If you go to someone, a doctor, a friend, someone in your church, someone at your work, in your family, and they give you an answer that you just go home just feeling even worse about yourself or the same, obviously that wasn't the help. You need to just keep finding what's going to work for you. There's not going to be a magic book. There's not going to be anything that you can just, you can't drown yourself in a medication. You can't drown yourself with food or, or ignoring the baby. I mean, this is your child. They're in your life. And it's a relationship you will always work on. You could have a perfect baby and have a horrible teenage years, adult years, and never talk to your child again. I mean, you're going to have these ebbs and flows. And so if you're just feeling no connection, just know that it will come. You just have to find that way. And it's going to be a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It's going to be weeks, months, years of work. But it will be there at some point. Mm-hmm. At most people I know, it's it's at least a year or so until their problem is better for them and their child. It's a dark year. It's a long year or two. And you just have to just keep finding that. You find that one person that can help, you realize, okay, there's one person. But you know what? There's one person that probably helped that person mm-hmm. and one person that helped that person. So there is, they're out there. You just got to find that person. And instead of dragging them down with you, listen to them to bring you up. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I love it. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. Anything else you want to share? No, that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is such a, like, every single thing that you touched on, I think is exactly what everybody can hear this topic is not talked about enough not just postpartum 
at the autism scale and even just having a child with a disorder or disability. So no, and I when, love how and when you mix uh, a disability diagnosis with postpartum, it's it could be a double whammy. Yeah. So putting kerosene on fire. <laughs> it is, but you know, just know there's there's no magic fix, but there's also no no hope. Yeah. There's it's there. You'll get it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.